Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one. With Nicole Claggett, here's the host of Aging Matters, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, the lovely Nicole Cleggett representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited today because I have harvested my first honeydew melon. Let me tell you about your <laughs> harvest. You brought me a watermelon last week and I I couldn't eat it fast enough. It was delicious. Aww. So I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what your magic touch is, but um, you're doing a great job. Well, it's not my magic touch. It's actually my daughter. I, I can give her full credit, the six-year-old, for the watermelons because every single watermelon that was growing, for, she planted all the seeds, and then every single one that was a little sprout, she kissed it, and she said she gave each one love. Wow. So they were extra sweet because they had her love inside, and she's very excited about her harvest. So she loves taking pictures with her watermelon. I can't even keep weeds alive in my front yard. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm that bad at uh, gardening and landscaping and all that stuff. So I, I need as much help as you can give me. Well, I'll bring bring you more fruit, I'm sure. Excellent. I love to hear that, and I'm excited for the show this evening, Nicole, because we've got two wonderful guests here, and we're going to be talking about something that. Uh, I don't think we've we've discussed on this show before, but maybe not developed a, an entire segment to that. And we're going to be talking about mediation, and we've brought in two folks from the Elder Matters of the Carolinas LLC, and that is Rick Igo and also Hank Strauss. Thank you both so much for coming in this evening. Good to be here. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. So mediation, I think, is a really great topic. Uh, one of the things that we often talk about on this show is that uh, we are such a crisis-driven society, and we really don't deal with the big, ugly mess until it's really a big, ugly mess that we can't ignore anymore. And unfortunately, as people age, it tends to really bring out a lot of the dirty laundry in family situations. I have yet to meet a functional family, my family included. So, um, And you know, when we have crisis in health or financial crisis, it tends to really bring out sometimes not the best in people and families come to blows and sometimes these situations really cause the ends of family relationships forever and ever and I have personally witnessed this and it is truly devastating so I'm really happy that we're going to talk a little bit about mediation and how that might actually help circumvent one of these types of situations so let's start off um, Rick what exactly is mediation? Well, mediation, uh, I think quite simply, is uh, a negotiation, and it can be two people, it can be a whole group. Negotiation, which is facilitated by a neutral, trusted third party mm -hmm. who can help people have a discussion and hopefully, hopefully see each other's viewpoints and help them come to a resolution. You know, I often think of mediation when I have to sign business contracts, and there's always a lovely line in there, well, before you go to attorneys, you yeah. need to seek a mediator. So this is what I think of in this situation. But obviously, there is a much more practical and personal use to this. Yeah, it's much better when it's not forced. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a little like forcing the divorcing couple right. to go through mediation. That's right, exactly. exactly. So, um, so let's talk about a little bit about elder mediation because we're you know some of us may be familiar with the term mediation, uh, but let's talk about how what elder mediation is and how it can help. Well, um, elder medi mediation is just another form of mediation where um, 
we help facilitate families who ha are in conflict when an elder, a parent usually, um, is at a crossroads. Uh, the situation is ripe for, for disputes on a host of issues. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's talk about some problems that are actually addressed with this. Well, it can be anything from uh, maybe you're noticing more dents in the car, mom or dad's car or both of their cars. Uh, it could be, uh, we actually like to talk about using it prospectively. Yeah. And, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're an elder and you're starting to do estate planning, bring the whole family together. We can help you have a family discussion about deciding who's going to do what and when and how and try to anticipate problems. But most times it seems to be it is a crisis point. Mm -hmm. So maybe dad fell down, broke his hip. Um, maybe mom's just been diagnosed with early onset um, Alzheimer's mm -hmm. and the family's trying to decide what to do and we bring everybody together and facilitate a discussion about that and you hope that they can come to uh, an, a mutually agreeable solution. I love that you brought up the whole uh, advanced directives and estate planning piece because uh, we often talk about this and bring in numbers of elder care attorneys from time to time and we talk about the fact that who you pick to represent you in your health care wishes and your financial wishes is so important and not feeling like you have to pick the person you feel like you have to pick, but pick the right person for the job. But then another thing that I think will, would really allay a lot of these issues is then don't keep it a secret. Exactly. Oh, because I have seen this. And, you know, it's a sudden shock when all of a sudden, you know, this one daughter or son thought that they were going to be the one handling this. And then when it turns out the crisis happens, it's a different one. And then, boy, things can get ugly. And, and that's, that's what brings on the need for mediation. It's usually um, when siblings yeah. um, don't see eye to eye. You know, one, one is local and a caretaker, and the other may be a power of attorney in California. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna always see things the same way. Right. So and I would say, uh, well, two aspects of mediation that can help with what I say are communication problems are, we can help have the communication at that moment that maybe the family couldn't have on their own. And second, by going through mediation, we help model them for future uh, interactions. So we help them learn a way to speak to each other and share information further down the road. So I guess one of the things that I'm, I'm wondering about, and I have never actually had to go through mediation personally, but I, I would suspect that typically one family member will call for help and say, gee, we need help for this situation. How do you make it so that the rest of the family doesn't feel like you are on that individual's side and it's not, you know, very adversarial. Because I'm sure that that probably is an issue. Oh, well, you know, this is just going to go your way because you called this company. That's a good question. Yeah. Our process involves asking the person who initiates the call to give us the names and contacts of all the stakeholders. And without charge, we call each and every one of them and spend a good amount of time. I would well imagine getting an earful. Oh, my. Well, we don't really necessarily get into yeah. the details, but we really want people to understand what it is that we do and what they would be signing up to do and try to get them on board. And that really is half the challenge because mm -hmm. when we get people to the table, there's going to be some forward movement. It's mm -hmm. getting people to the table that is um, the critical piece. But, Nicole, you, you raise an essential um, element of the training and I think the skill involved in being a mediator is that in any sort of mediation you need to be neutral the mediator needs to be neutral and impartial neutral meaning um, uh, you're not involved in what the decision-making is you help them 
decide what they want to do, so you're not influencing them on the outcome. And impartial means you don't take sides. And if it's two people or if it's a family group or even um, if it's a, a, a civic group that you're helping facilitate a decision-making, that's an essential part to be sure that you're letting them know you're not taking sides. So we start that from the beginning. We strive and we're trained to be um, uh, neutral and impartial and to project that to people and help them understand that. And, and later on in the process, we do more extensive interviews with all the stakeholders and we find out what the issues are and we develop a topic list and that list is without attribution. So no one is associated with a particular problem. It's out there for discussion. So I guess one of the things I'm wondering about is, you know, how do you become a mediator? I mean, what can people expect from the skill set of the individual that does the mediation? Well, both Rick and I are certified by um, the state. Rick is a very experienced mediator. Why don't you, why don't you, um, do you want to hear my us, history? Yeah, it's, a, it's, <laughs> it's, he's one of the, uh, I'm also attorney. Okay. And when I was in school, uh, law school at UNC Chapel Hill, I was in the criminal law clinic there in my third year in Hillsboro, North Carolina. And uh, there was a group of people there doing mediation from Dispute Settlement Center uh, in Carborough. And I was impressed with the work they did. If I knew if my clients could get involved with them, they could often have the, the charges dropped and dismissed if they could come to resolution. Uh, and so after I graduated, I did my first training almost 30 years ago and began meeting as a volunteer with them and worked from there to become certified with the uh, Dispute Resolution Commission here in North Carolina. And um, both Hank and I do different kinds of mediation other than elder mediation, but this is a particular focus that we have. That is the voice of Rick Igo, and we are also speaking with Hank Strauss, and we're going to continue our conversation with them. Both gentlemen are from the Elder Matters of the Carolinas LLC, and we're going to continue our conversation on mediation right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care here on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. Org. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. We have two guests here in the studio. They are with Elder Matters of the Carolinas LLC. We've got Rick Igo. He's a mediator and attorney at law. And we also have Hank Strauss, who's a mediator as well. And surprisingly enough, we're talking about the topic of mediation, Nicole. And, uh, you know, we've, we've covered exactly what this is and who it might benefit. But I, I think it might help uh, the audience relate a little bit if we've hear some stories of you know what's gone on what a uh, successful mediation and uh i'm sure that uh hank and rick you guys have uh, experienced some um some pleasant situations and some not so pleasant situations some colorful it's, ones i'm yeah, sure yeah of course <laughs> for sure and i know i could certainly think of many a time um that mediators have been called in to serve older adults and their families throughout my career as well but want to hear from you sort of what types of um situations do you actually work with typically what are the more common situations that come up well let's see um the example that i gave earlier where um there is a caretaker who has been working with a mom who's 
start in the early phases of dementia without she, the, the daughter doesn't have the power of attorney or the health care power of attorney and the she, there are two brothers neither of whom trust the caretaker mm -hmm. and they're one is in north and one is south and she's left to make decisions gotta watch out for those yankees like me i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> We do. <laughs> uh, no, so um, that's just you know that's just a very very difficult situation. I want to say one thing else about mediation, which is true in almost all the kinds of mediations that we do. Going in, almost invariably, we hear, "This will never work. This will never oh, yeah. settle." Yeah, that's right. And invariably, almost you know a good amount of the time. I won't say all the time, but an overwhelming percentage of the time. It does work. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a just a, a transformative process, which I really believe in. This is my second career, and I'm really I really do believe strongly in it. So I guess uh, one of the scenarios that I can see this really helping is, and and I'm sure this would have to be a really fast get involved situation, is really sort of at the bedside when that person suddenly has a life li limiting diagnosis, and family is at odds to. You know, do we continue extraordinary measures to keep them going versus, you know, do we try to make them comfortable? And, and people have different opinions about what mom would have wanted. Talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, well, I think we haven't dealt with that situation yet. I think we mm -hmm. could certainly help, but we haven't had uh, um, that particular situation uh, presented to us to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, we're prepared to go forward if necessary. Um, and we can we can tell you about other situations sure. we dealt with, and I'm just realizing we we omitted an essential part of mediation when we described it as confidentiality, right? And that's critical, and it's uh, confidential to the whole group who's mediating. And then if we have individual conversations with with family members, that's also confidential. We don't reveal information unless they permit us to do that. Mm -hmm. So we have to be a bit vague when we're talking about the cases uh, that we've dealt with, so on and so forth. Sure. Um, but would you like? I can give you another example, um, Hank. Gave one but sure um, yeah that'd be great um we had a situation where an out-of-town sibling uh and and several others were concerned about uh, a local sibling in north carolina who was living with mom mm -hmm. dad had passed away and mom had a certain amount of property mm. that um, they were concerned that seemed to be dwindling and um, they wanted they wanted to talk to the sibling about they want to have a conversation and they had tried from being out of town on the telephone and it just wasn't working and so that's something that we are ideally set up to do is to get mom and the rest of the family together and have a conversation about that and see what what's going on and so it's the communication aspect and then coming to some resolution about it going forward so I wonder, um, do you often work, and I know uh, attorneys, by the nature of what you do, are mediators in, in, in a lot of respects, but do you work a lot of times hand-in-hand -hand with law firms to kind of help families when they're working on estate planning? Um, they're more of a re referral source yeah. for us. Uh, there is one attorney who has a menu of options for his clients, one of which is mediation. Mm -hmm. and. Um, for that, there's an hour that we would devote to just explaining what it is and see if it's a fit. Mm -hmm. Great. So let's talk about the process. How does this work? All right. So you call us. Mm -hmm. um, you I tell you about my ruckus. You you you, you, <laughs> you describe the situation. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna ask you who the stakeholders are, mm -hmm. 
and how to contact them and how to contact them. Mm -hmm. Because you know, it may be that you want to call ahead of us and explain that you're going to be getting this call. Mm -hmm. And we will, without charge, spend usually a half an hour or so explaining what the process is to each of the stakeholders and try to get them on board. That is the most essential first step. Mm -hmm. And maybe the most difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, once we've achieved that, we have everybody sign up and agreed. We conduct extensive interviews, usually just one of us, and get a feel for the tenor, the dynamics of the family. Mm -hmm. And if with the elder, we would try, if possible, to visit personally, because mm -hmm. telephones often don't work. Yeah. Once we have all of that information, Rick and I will get together mm -hmm. and come up with a game plan with an agenda and a topic list and so forth. And we will set that out. We'll, we'll send it out to all of the stakeholders. We'll offer some dates and places. Place, the place is very key. Yeah, you don't want to do it in someone's turf, right? Well, generally you, want to, you want to do it where some, we sort of lend a little bit more weight to what the elder needs. Right, right. It has to be a place where the elders comfortable, can see, can hear, and right. so forth. And um, we, we established a list of topics given to us by the stakeholders without attribution as to who mm -hmm. provided those issues. Mm -hmm. And then we work to develop an agenda for a meeting where everybody gets together and the two of us co-mediate. It can be a day long, it can be two days, however long wow. it takes. And um, we, it is a process whereby the family makes their own decisions. We facilitate that. Mm -hmm. And we um, suggest and allow them to come up with their ground rules, which are very important. Mm -hmm. um, ground rules meaning? Who can talk when? Yeah, no um, name what, calling. No, yeah, yeah, no name calling. Exactly. No idea is a bad idea. That kind of stuff, what yeah. kind of language is acceptable? You right. know, some families are very yeah. ribald. Is that the right word? And, yeah. and <laughs> others aren't. So, but yeah. it's up to them. Yeah. And we'll we'll ask. You know, um, if someone violates your ground rules, what role would you like us to play? Yeah. Would you like us to say, well, yeah, wait a minute, yeah, you're yeah, interrupting yeah. here. She, yeah, you know, yeah. um, Nancy talking, was talking. around. <laughs> well, that's a, that's, we were talking about, we, we were trying to learn more about that uh -huh. process, the yeah. circle process, because we process. think it might be a very good one yeah. for us to yeah. use. We're, we're actually considering oh. that. <laughs> so I make fun, but I. No, <laughs> I think it's a great process. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, may, we may do that. Cool. Um, so we, we try to address one issue at a time. Mm -hmm. um, we have what we call the consensus model. Mm -hmm. So once we have a good discussion and everybody's interests are ad identified, we say, well, okay, well, what, what do you propose? Mm -hmm. And we let people just, you know, um, blue sky, mm -hmm. brainstorm solutions. And um, the consensus model allows various uh, degrees of consent mm -hmm. and um, very de various degrees of I can't live with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody has to at least be able to live with it for mm -hmm. it to be a consensus. And if they don't, um, then what do you propose as mm -hmm. an alternative? That's, that's true. It's sort of a veto model, but if you veto, you're required to propose something new. You can't just say, I can't do that. Yeah. You say, well, okay, what, what can you do? What do you think will work right. in its place? 
Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about your company, and then um, I think we'll be out of time. Yeah. How do people get a hold of you if they're interested in uh, needing some help with mediation? Well, we have a website. Um, what is our website? <laughs> Eldermatters.org. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and that's probably the best, easiest way to get get to us. Or you could uh, email uh, info at eldermatters.org or hank at eldermatters.org or rick at eldermatters.org. Awesome. Easy enough. Eldermatters.org is the website. Again, eldermatters.org. I want to thank Rick Igo and Hank Strauss, both with Elder Matters of the Carolinas LLC, for coming in and joining us this evening to discuss mediation. We're taking a quick break, and we'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Claygate from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. News Radio 680 WPTF, this is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. I am Jason Kong. She is Nicole Cleggett. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. And Nicole, during the break, you were talking about how you were having some work done in your house and it's uh, displaced you a little bit. But uh, ho- thankfully, that's now over for you. But uh, you were just, it was funny hearing you talk about just how different that felt. You know, I, I sit here and I think about, wow, you know, what's it like when somebody moves or, or, or you know, that's what it felt like I was moving, and, and but I still lived in that home. So it makes you think about what's it like when somebody's trying to make a choice to go to a long-term care community and moving and all that up, upheaval with that, because I've certainly felt it this week with myself, the flu in my house a couple weeks ago. Luckily, that's all passed and uh, three kids and it's been exciting times. Yeah, making a choice like that can be overwhelming and there's a lot of factors that go into it. And that's why we brought in an expert and that expert is bill lamb he's the executive director of friends of residents in long-term care bill welcome to aging matters thank you so much for joining us thank you i appreciate being here i appreciate the invitation yeah absolutely we or love ha- having you here nicole uh, get us started yeah so i'm super excited bill lamb has been a uh, fixture in the long-term care community for his entire career and it's quite an honor to have him here in the studio with us today we could talk for hours and i've lost sitting here. I discovered so many things I have in common with him already. So um, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be letting him go too easily after the show today, for sure. We but have other things to talk about. We do, right. like bees. Right. So exciting. Right. Um, so, but why we're here today is you represent an organization that's actually been around in the community for quite a while, and it's Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. And that sounds like an interesting title. What exactly does right. that mean? It's, it's a long title. Sometimes we wonder about changing our names, but it, it does describe who we are and what we're about. Um, Friends of Residence is a, a citizens advocacy group, and we've been around actually for 30 years. Uh, we started in, in Winston-Salem. We had a Reynolds Foundation grant, oh, wow. and the there's a, a group, the Long-Term Care Ombudsman, helped start us get off the ground. And uh, our first three years was in Winston-Salem. And somehow we figured out that Raleigh is the state capital, so we moved, <laughs> we, we moved to Raleigh. And the we've beacon been, of light. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So we've been here ever since. And our our uh, our motto is quality care no matter where. Uh, so we we look at the, the whole spectrum of care from home and community-based care to uh, assisted living to adult day health, adult day care, and nursing home care. And we... we 
provide several services. One is we we respond to calls uh, from the public, from family members usually, but sometimes from uh, from nursing home or assisted living residents. Um, we make public presentation, try and raise public awareness around long-term care. And uh, then we have uh, uh, advocacy goals. Every year we work with the General Assembly around uh, laws and regulations that apply to uh, long-term care settings. settings. And uh, mostly assisted living, the, <clears throat> the way it works out nationally with Medicare, Medicaid certification standards for nursing homes are pretty much universal across the United States. So a nursing home in North Carolina looks like a nursing home in Virginia. That is not true of assisted living. It's the Wild West. Every, <laughs> every state has to figure out assisted living. And uh, so our attention tends to be more on, on the policy side, on assisted living, because our, our state is the one who's either drafting laws or making regulations that apply to and frankly, you know, every state's the Wild West within assisted living, but it also seems within the state it's still the Wild West because oh. truly, I mean, they're not apples to apples. And they provide, while they have a base level of care they're supposed to provide, exactly. depending on staffing levels and what have you, you could have an assisted living that caters more towards your just general frail older adult all the way up to people really needing a tremendous amount of assistance and feeding and what have you, depending upon you know what that organization is willing to staff. So um, that is a huge challenge for families to really try to navigate, especially when they're thinking about the diagnosis of their loved one, because you don't want to place somebody in a place that's not going to be able to care for them, because keep, keeping the transitioning them is never a good thing. Exactly, and the the it becomes even more complicated because oftentimes you're having to make a placement decision under pressure. Yes. It's, you don't just wake up one morning and need to be placed in a, uh, a nursing home or assisted living facility, but usually what what happens is that there's a healthcare crisis. Mm -hmm. and the, the fall or the right. hospitalization. It's exactly, and, and the, the, so it's usually a family member that's put in a position of having to make a placement and their mom's in, in the hospital and the discharge planner comes down the hall and said, you know, Monday your mom's going to a long-term care facility. Here's a list. Mm -hmm. Go get them. Exactly, exactly. And right. so, you know, one of the things that I, I would love to touch base with you on really has to do with how do we make that choice? How do we how do we prepare to care for that older adult? Um, obviously, and we talk about this on the show a lot, as human beings, we're not trying to think about what's going to eventually happen to us. We're just trying to, you know, make it through each day and we're kind of crisis oriented. We, you know, exactly. there might be that nagging pain in your side and you just ignore it and ignore it and think it's going to go away and then the next thing you know, it's, you know, a stage 4 cancer and because you just didn't deal with it. So we just handle everything that way unfortunately. But in a perfect world, you know, if we're really trying to teach people how to prepare to care, what types of things do we need to think about when we're trying to decide on a placement for a loved one? Because I know when I started in the industry several years, I should say decades ago at this point, I'm sad to say, um, assisted livings weren't even an option. I mean, they didn't right. even exist. It was literally nursing home level of care or care at home. Right, right. Well, the the decision making in some ways is parallel between nursing homes and assisted living. In other ways, it's very different because of the different kind of care. 
uh, that's involved. So let's let's talk about the parallels, the sure. things to be you you would think about whether it's a nursing home or an assisted living facility. So the 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 first thing to to be thinking about is is there any information you can get about the quality of care that's being provided in that facility? And for nursing homes, there is a, a federal resource that you can find online, and that is uh, Nursing Home Compare. You can go to the Health and Human Services or to the Medicare website and find that. Uh, there is a star rating system for, uh, for nursing homes, and you can, based on those rating systems, you can find out actually quite a bit about the kind of care that, that facilities provide, uh, whether or not there's been any regulatory compliance issues, uh, whether or not the facility is meeting or exceeding staffing patterns, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, it gets a little more complicated for assisted living, but North Carolina is one of the few states that actually has a similar kind of a program. We have a star rating system for uh, assisted living facilities. You can look that up on the Adult Care Licensure Section's website. Mm-hmm. Um it is a little different than the nursing home compare uh, rating system. There are quality indicators in the nursing home compare mm-hmm. site. The star rating system for the assisted living or adult care homes is more like a restaurant rating. It uh, it essentially <laughs> it's true. well, it's true. Yeah. So the they had this the, many dented cans in their kitchen. Well, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the. It's based on, it's a four-star rating system, and any facility that has not been had any regulatory compliance issues in two, two years actually gets four stars. So the way I talk about it with families is the uh, uh, Sullivan Steakhouse in Raleigh mm-hmm. and McDonald's mm-hmm. may both have a 100% rating. Where's the better quality? <laughs> but it's the food the same. Exactly. So... The, the rating system for assisted living, and it's important to look it up, uh, can tell you that this facility has not had regulatory issues. If you see a rating of three stars or two stars or one star, you better start asking questions. Sometimes the difference between four stars and three stars is really not an important issue to you. Mm-hmm. That there was a there were regulatory compliance issues that may have to do with the building right. that may have that, that are not care related right. issues. But when you start getting into two stars and one star, it's time to start asking serious questions about what's what's going on behind that. Mm-hmm. So looking up information is is important with the time that you've got available, it's important, if you can, to make a visit yourself. And I want to pick up on that right after sure. the break. We'll do just that with our guest, Bill Lamb. He's the Executive Director of Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. And we'll continue our conversation right after this break. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights, here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more information about Transitions Life Care at transitionslifecare.org. 
Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest here in the studio is Bill Lamb. He's the executive director of Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. And Nicole, just before the break, we were talking about the two different rating systems between nursing home care and assisted living. And um, as Bill mentioned, these are two things that um, while they do provide ratings, they, they do not operate in the same fashion. They definitely don't. So aside from looking at the ratings, which is a snapshot, there really is nothing that beats that visit. That's, Let's talk that, about that. Okay, sure. Well, so it's important uh, to be able to visit the facility. Is this a uh, does uh, in in some ways it's like follow your instincts. Mm-hmm. Is there is this a, a place that you feel comfortable around? Do you see staff engaging with residents in a positive manner? I think it's important to visit if you've got the opportunity at different times of day. I I think mealtime is a great time Mm -hmm. to visit because you can see whether or not residents uh, are being attended to by staff or they're being left alone. Some can eat fine by themselves, which is just okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are other people who need assistance in feeding, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's important to see whether or not staff are attentive. Uh, it's also important, I think, if you if you can, to visit in the evening or at night. Uh, the numbers of staff that you have to have on uh, in the facility at night is different than during the day, and sometimes uh, staff get a little thin at mm-hmm. night. Yeah. And it's important to see whether or not the, there are adequate staffing throughout the day. And usually, people go during the daytime. It's also important to uh, use your friends and neighbors. What are other people, what experiences do other people have with the facility? So word of mouth is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember that when you make a visit to a facility, the facility is trying to sell their facility to you. So they do have folks who who do that, and that's fine. (laughs) Uh, They're trying to present their facility in the best light. It's important to validate that experience with with other things. The last thing, or the one of the, I think the important things to keep in mind as well, uh, and this is just the way it is. Uh, the most important thing is to find a facility where you can re- you can visit regularly. Mm-hmm. the The difference in care that people get in whatever facility, you can have a a five-star, high-quality facility, Mm -hmm. and the residents who get visited regularly get better care than the residents who don't. Mm -hmm. It is a fact of life. So if you're trying to make a decision between facilities, I think it's important that you pick a facility that is closest Mm -hmm. to you. That's exactly right. You know, um, that's that's definitely um, true. And I I also think it's also important to be very realistic. Placing a loved one in a long-term care community, that definitely has bonuses. You know, you have more opportunities for um, socialization. You know, somebody who may have been living alone before may not have been eating as well. There's lots of good things about it. But the reality of it is it's not going to be the same as providing that personal one-on-one care that you may have been providing or currently are providing in a home for a loved one or hired in for help. It's, it's going to be different. So it's important to also have realistic expectations. Right. And so that kind of leads me into my next question for you. And, and oftentimes, you know, when we're doing shows like this, either here or on TV, people often start chiming in about 
they're dissatisfied with the quality of care or level of care that their loved one is getting at their long-term care community. I I get those calls. Yes. (laughs) And so, you know, how would you expect or suggest that people handle that to get the best positive outcome for their loved one? You'd be surprised at the number of people that I talk to who have a concern about care that have called me that really have not talked to the facility about their concerns yes. first. And that, that really is your first line. Well, and it's a fear of reprisal, though. That's I mean, even exactly right. similarly, you know, even with my own school aged children, you know, sometimes I may not be happy with how something is going on at school. And then you have to sit there and debate well, do I sit here and be a pain in the butt and complain to the school about X, Y, and Z issue? Because if I do, then I'm going to be known as the problem parent. And mm-hmm. then, you know, will my kid get the same type of treatment as he normally gets? And so right, right. I think we have the same thought process. Right. Yeah. Well, well, let me go back to what I was saying earlier in terms of the uh, uh, the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's true in terms of a problem as well. If you don't say something, yep. uh, then, the, then the problem is not going to be addressed, even by a facility that, that wants to address the problems right. in their care. Uh, I think it's important uh, not only to, if you've observed a problem to speak to the direct care staff about it, but also the, the whoever's the director of nursing. Mm-hmm. about the problem. Families are invited to fam- to the patient care meetings. Yes, and they have to have those. That's right. They have to have the patient care meetings, but the it's amazing how many families don't go to those meetings. Mm-hmm. And that's an opportunity, even when there's not a problem, to go and at least understand what it is that the facility is trying to do based related to the resident you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. So that's one, is to, is to start with the facility. There's also a program, the, the uh, long-term care ombudsman program in the state. Uh, these are not regulatory people, but they're available to support every assisted living facility, every nursing home in the state, uh, and help resolve problems. And the, if you have a concern about care that a resident is receiving, you can contact the ombudsman, and they can be uh, like a mediator. Yep in terms of trying to resolve issues around care. So you're not getting the facility in trouble when you do that. No, it's, they no, just no, sort no. Of act They're on in the facilities all help. the time yep. anyway, and the facilities know the role of the ombudsman. Mm-hmm. So this is it's kind of a natural part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, at, a, at a heightened level with a serious concern, you can also file a complaint with uh, the state, and the complaints are filed depending on you have two sources, one for assisted living and another for uh, nursing homes, mm-hmm. and those are with the state agencies that are involved. Those numbers will be posted in the facilities, so you can find out what those numbers are. And you get them in your admission packet as That's well. That's exactly right. You can file a complaint with the state. The state is required to investigate complaints. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I get feedback that they're not responsive. They have their own standards they have to apply in terms mm-hmm. of what they can intervene with and what they can't, but they do have to to make an investigation. Um, You can also, if if you see something that is a severe case of abuse or neglect, you can contact uh, the County Department of Social Services in Mm -hmm. North Carolina. Uh, It's whatever county the facility is located in. Mm And they also can do a, a uh, an investigation into the uh, uh, circumstances of a of a complaint. And then the last thing, and uh, 
I rarely recommend this, but I have recommended it. Is it, there are times that it's time to talk to an attorney? Yeah. That uh, that when some bad things happen in facilities, it goes beyond what regulatory responses can be, and you feel like you need to have a representative who uh, who can take action on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And there are there are litigators who who are in the business to address nursing home and assisted living concerns. So. But the reality of it is, is let's deal with the issues when they're small. Exactly. Bring them up. Exactly. Most long-term care communities want to do the right things for the right reasons. And I agree, I agree with that. I, 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 there is some really great care going on out right. there. Right. Unfortunately, in the media, it's the bad things that tend to get sensationalized. And so part of the reason why we do this show is because we want people exactly. to understand the great innovation and, and wonderful care that can be provided, but you are also a partner in their care. Exactly. And you know, it's also important not to constantly be the complainer and just also offer compliments too, because they are so used to just getting the complaints. Right. Um, and so, you know, thank those direct care workers. You know, j- thank the administrators. Thank the thank the salespeople. Thank the activities director. Um, they love to hear what they're doing well too. Right. So that also helps to build a relationship. Exactly. I think one of the things that you just said that I highlight all the time, uh, it's the it's the direct care workers in facilities that make or that break them make or break them <laughs> yep. so and and they have hard jobs yes they, they do. have very and they're not very paid well difficult jobs and they're not paid well oh mm-hmm. uh, so they're, they're the people you should be thanking all the people you just talked about yes, but, but particularly mm-hmm. the direct care uh workers that that come in and provide the personal hands-on care that's that, hard work. That people receive, and it's it is hard work. So, if you could just take a moment to tell people how they can contact friends of residents in long term care, and um, let sure. us know the website as well. We, we have a website. It's www.forltc.org. Okay. Or you can call uh, 919-782-1530. And is this a free service? It is a free service. Wow, you can't beat that. Bill Lamb, thank you so much for coming in. That website again, F-O-R-L-T-C dot org, F-O-R-L-T-C dot org. And that phone number, 919-782-1530. Again, Bill Lamb, Executive Director of Friends of Residents in Long-Term Care. We really appreciate you coming out this evening and sharing some time with us. Well, thank you for having me. We are out of time for tonight, but I want to remind you that you can always visit transitionslifecare.org to find more information about Transitions Life Care. If you're interested in registering for any of the Caregiver Summits, you can go to caregiversummit.org. And if you missed any part of this episode or want to go back and check out past episodes, head over to WPTF.com and check out the podcast section. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I am Jason Kong, thanking you so much for joining us this evening for Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. For more information, log on transitionslifecare.org.